my grandson, Luke, got to go to his first Tennessee Balls game in Knoxville yesterday. And so my son kept sending me pictures back and forth of our grandson and, you know, his experience. My daughter-in-law's big UT fan, and so uh, they were excited about going there. And after a little while, I, I, I texted because I'd seen the store on television, I said, is it close? When my son texted me back and said Connecticut thought they were playing basketball and brought that team. It didn't turn out so well, but uh, he enjoyed his time uh, on that particular trip. Uh, we have been doing a series of lessons this year called As You Go, and we're moving to kind of our last section before we enter kind of the Christmas season. And it's a series I'm calling Call the Master Disciple Makers, Time to Give Intentional. And, uh, you know, making disciples is to be a part of who we are as Christians. We just sang a song, We Are His New Creation, by water and the Word. The Word representing the Gospel, the water representing our response in faith and baptism. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. We welcome everybody, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey here at Hendersonville. But if you've been thinking for some time, you know, I'd like to be baptized. Never been baptized. I'd like to be baptized. Uh, let us know. Uh, Jim and I are going to be greeting right here in the very uh, front, middle part of the front foyer. Uh, if you'd like to be baptized, you can see me after the sermon or see me out there or see any of our elders. Uh, they've got a little name tag to say the elders. They're in the front, uh, front foyer as well as the back foyer. And they'd love to set that up for you. And they'll be glad to pray for other needs that you may have. But just let us know. Let us know. You turn over to the book of Revelation. And Jesus tells John that he wants him to write some letters. Letters to seven churches in Asia. In chapter 2, verse 1, is Jesus dictating these letters. I mean, these are Jesus' letters to these seven churches. It begins with the words to the angel. That word angel, angelos in Greek, simply means a messenger. It can be a spiritual messenger. It also can be just a messenger. And so the NIV puts in the footnote, messenger, which I think probably would be the better translation in this case. And of course, that's open to opinion. But he says, the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus right. And then what he does is he begins to describe what he knows is going on at these particular churches. You see them here. And by the way, the order that you have them in Revelation 2 and 3 is in the order of the road that the person carrying the letter would travel to deliver either one letter or, or multiple letters. So it starts in Ephesus, goes to Smyrna, Pergamum, over to Thyatira, Thyatira, Sardis, down to Philadelphia, Laodicea, then back to Ephesus. It's a circular pattern. And, and so he begins to address these different churches by saying, I know you deeds, for instance. The church there in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. And he does this several times in these letters. He'll say, I don't know what's going on in your church. But then after he talks about what they're doing that's good, he'll come back and he says, yet I hold this against you. You've got some problems there. And in the case of Ephesus, they had forsaken the love they had at first. I mean, if you remember what it was like when you first got married, how many of you were in love. Jim and I were in love so much we didn't think we needed money. 
you had to be 21 to get married. I was 20. June was uh, 19. Our parents signed for us. They had to go to the courthouse and sign, giving their permission to let us get married before the age of 21. I called Barb Durham to sue them for doing that. I mean, what were they thinking? We could live on love? Well, love's important, but sometimes love begins to wane. And, and Jesus said to the Ephesians, boy, you've got a problem. Your love's not what it used to be. To the messenger of the church in Smyrna right? I know your afflictions and your poverty. He says, listen, you, you look upon yourself worldly and say, we don't have hardly anything. He says, but spiritually you're so rich. What an incredible compliment to that particular church. To the church, uh, uh, to the angel of the church in Sardis right? I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wouldn't you love to have read that letter? I mean, Jesus is like, can I tell you? Everybody says, man, that's a lively church, but you're dead as a hammer. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. To the angel of the church of Laodicea right? A lot of us who have gone to church have heard about this. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Have you ever picked up a cup of coffee you've laid out too long? That's right, Pete, thank you. I appreciate somebody responding. But you pick up a cup and it's been out, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and it's room temperature. And you're like, oh, you know. You're like, I can't drink that. And that's exactly the point Jesus makes. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What's going on in these churches? I mean, what's happening? And what's happening is Jesus is doing an honest evaluation of where they are. He's saying, y'all, it's time to, to, you know, do an inventory, a spiritual inventory of what's going on in your, in your church life. And we need to do an honest evaluation of where Christianity is in America and where we are here at Hendersonville as a church. Now, let me say a word about what we're fixing to do. What we're fixing to do is not good. And it's not fun. And it's not encouraging. It's like your doctor running a bunch of tests and walking in and saying, okay, we need to talk. You never want to hear your doctor say that. And then he sits down and begins to say, this is what this test revealed and this is what, you know, I mean, you're like, okay, we've got problems. Christianity in America today has problems. And, and we see it in the news and we hear about it. We even see it in our churches but I'm not so sure it's had the effect that it needs to have. Sometimes it's like Jesus when he said, wake up. He's saying to us, it's time to wake up, church, in America. At Hendersonville, it's time to wake up. Do you not see what's happening? I've tried to get the latest stats, and, and they are the latest. These are as, as recent as, as I could possibly find. This is an article written back in June, June 9th. Okay, so it's about, what, five, six months ago. Written by a lady by the name of Tess Bond. Now, here's what's interesting. Tess understands us a lot. You'll see why I say that here in a moment. She's written for a lot of different publications, online as well as published works, Rolling Stone, things like that. And she wrote an article called, Is Your Church Looking Less Crowded These Days? You're Not Alone. I want you to listen to what Tess wrote. See if you relate to it. 
For families across the country, Sunday mornings have long meant one thing, church. The ceremony begins as worshipers line the pews to sing songs of praise before giving an offering and taking communion. Then all eyes are on the preacher as they point to a scripture that, depending on the kind of week we've had, weighs on our conscience or gives us some perspective. Finally, all heads are bowed in prayer for the sick and those in need. For many, these practices are an unmissable ritual. Blake, I had to look up the word unmissable. And what it means is you don't want to miss it. And I thought, Tess, why couldn't you just say that? Okay? But it's an unmissable ritual. But data shows this group is shrinking. Now here's what caught me about Tess. This is what, why it got my attention. Growing up in rural Texas, there was no question where I could be found on the Lord's Day. I mean, she calls it the Lord's Day. It tells you something about her. I was with my family dressed in my Sunday best, Butterfly Clips and Mary Janes, at the local Church of Christ. Now that I'm an adult and I have a choice, I no longer attend worship or identify with any faith in particular. And as it turns out, I'm not alone. Tess is 33 years old, born in 1990. Basically the same age as my youngest son. She goes on to describe what's happening in Christianity in America and why she's not a part of it. And it's disturbing. But when you look at other stats, you begin to realize, wow, what is going on in America? This is the latest stats right here. This uh, basically takes us, this came out uh, probably uh, two years ago. And I want you to notice on the far left-hand side, you got 1972. And in 1972, 90% of all Americans claimed Christianity as their faith. Nine out of ten. Okay? And that had been consistent literally from the 40s to the 50s to the 60s into the 70s. 90% said, you know, if they had to identify a faith, they would say, I'm Christian. But all you have to do is look at the lines to see that something's happened. You come down now to basically 2019, 2020, and that number has dropped to 63%. 63%. From 90 to 63%. And, and you don't have to be a math genius to realize something wrong is going on. This is a description, came out literally this year. So this is from this year, latest stats. And what people do on Sundays, okay? This is just simply, here's what people do on Sundays. If you'll notice on the far left hand, 20% of Americans today attend church every Sunday. 20%. Now, we live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, which means where we live, those numbers are higher. You go up to the northeast, you go up to the northwest, and those numbers are way worse than that, okay? But this is the average in America. 20%, only one out of five, attend church every week. Additional 10%, uh, most every week of the month. Not everyone, but, you know, three, two out of, out of four, and then 11% at least once, okay, once a month. And so when you add those numbers together, you basically have 41% of Americans who are going to church at least some, 41%. But then look at the next 
two, the tallest ones. 26% goes very seldom. In other words, Christmas and Easter. And now, 31% of all Americans never go to church. Put them together, over 50% of Americans either never go or just once or twice a year. 90%, of the 63%, only a third of them go to church every Sunday. And then there's been what's called the rise of the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. On surveys, you're basically asked, are you Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical, Orthodox, you know, other or none? Watch the nuns. Book came out, it's been about five, six years ago, called The Rise of the Nuns by James Emery White. It's been updated recently by Ryan uh, Burge, simply called The Nuns, where they came from, who they are, and where they're going. And look at this. And by the way, this book came out two years ago. I want you to remember that. Two years ago. He says, the growth of the nuns in American society has been dramatic. And that word dramatic needs to be bold. In 1972, just 5% of Americans claimed no religion in the general social survey. In 2018, five years ago, that number had rose to 23.7%. Almost one quarter of Americans claimed no religion at all. None. Okay? Making the nuns as numerous as both evangelical Protestants and Roman Catholics. And every indication is that the nuns will be the largest, I thought that's fascinating, the largest religious group. (laughs) You know, you're like, well, they're not a religious group. Yeah, you believe in something. Even if you believe in nothing, you believe in something. And they're going to be the largest religious group in the United States by the late 2020s. Now, let's update it two years. This is from highlights from the AP NORC poll about the religious unaffiliated in the U.S. This came out one month ago. Look at the date, October 4th, okay? One month ago, the Associated Press reported on this. 30% of Americans identify with no religion. You remember what it was two years ago? 23%. Now it's 30%. Not a quarter, but almost one-third of all Americans that identify they're either atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. 64% in the poll identify with Christian, which is what the numbers showed us a while ago, 63 64%. And it divides it up there between Catholics, Protestants, basically community, church, Mormon, and Orthodox. Here's what bothers me. 43% of those 18 to 29-year-olds, which is literally right now, because this came out just a few weeks ago, are nuns while 52% identify as Christians and 4% are affiliated with other religions. Now, you need to to process this for a second. I mean, have you ever just looked around and thought, where's all the young people? I mean, used to our churches were full of young people. Where are all the young people? And the answer is 43% of them have no faith at all. It's gone. 
And then of the 52% that identify as Christian, two-thirds of them don't attend church regularly. And you begin to see the problem. I mean, if you ever stop and go, what's happening to our children's classes? One of our children's classes don't have as many children as they used to. And the answer is, is that our young people are not in our churches like they used to be. And then not only that, do you know the average age now of people's first marriage? Average age of the first marriage today is about 28 or 29. Which means you, you simply don't have kids that if you went to church would go to church. Now you say, well, we, we've got a lot of kids here at Hendersonville. We're in the Bible belt, of uh, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, y'all. We're right in the heart of the most conservative part of the country. And so, yes, our numbers are going to be higher. But let me tell you, the secularization of Tennessee is moving along at a, at a clip just like the rest of the world. And we've got to ask ourselves, what's in store for us if we don't do something? And do something rather dramatic. And then beside the nuns, we have another group called the Rise of the Dechurched. Now, that may be a word you've never heard before, but you're going to hear more and more of it. A book just came out. This is literally came out August 22nd of this year, so we're talking about two months ago, okay? Called The Great Dechurching, written by Jim Davis Michael Graham. They're two pastors down in Orlando, Florida. And they began to notice in their church, where's everybody going? Orlando used to have a lot of churches in it. I mean, there were big churches in Orlando, and I mean, people were flocking there, and they were having all kinds of conventions and, and, and get-togethers of religious people from all over the place. And all at once, Jim and Michael looked around and said, what's happened? Where'd everybody go? And so they launched the largest study of those who used to go to church, who they described as the de-churched. Okay, that's what word de-churched mean. They used to be a member of a church, but they no longer go to church. About 40 million adults in America today used to go to church, but no longer do, which is a, a, accounts for around 16% of the adult population. For the first time in the eight decades that Gallup's tracked American religious membership, more adults in the United States do not attend church than attend church. We saw that stat just a few moments ago. 40 million Americans who used to fill the pews all across the country here in Hendersonville. And they don't go to church anymore. And what was fascinating is when they looked to see what, what were the causes of this, they were all over the place. I mean, you would think, well, there's probably one or two or three major causes. No, they're not. They're all over the place. You know what one of the big ones was? Our kids play sports. Now, if you grew up when I did, guess what you didn't do on Sunday? You didn't have high school sports. You didn't have little league sports. You didn't have any kind of sports. Today, if your kids participate in anything, Sundays are just as liable to have games all day long as, as, as you know, Saturdays used to. And parents are oftentimes caught between a rock and a hard spot. Do I get my kids involved in, you know, these, these sporting events? And if I do, how do, we, how do we keep them in church? And, you know, maybe we can do a devotional when we're at the, you know, at the ball field. And a lot of people do that. And for that, I am so thankful. But, I mean, that's just one of many. By the way, do you know what COVID did to us? 
I mean, COVID basically took every church in America and reduced it by 15%. That's the average loss of every church in America after one year of COVID. Attendance fell 15%. And by the way, we're right, we're right around average, maybe a little bit above, which is not good in this instance. But all churches saw these dramatic declines. Why? Because you had people who will simply answer the question, why don't you go to church anymore? And here's their response. I got out of the habit. Any of y'all ever used to go to the gym all the time? <laughs> Pete, I love that. That's good. <laughs> Do you know what happens to you if you're not careful? I, I, I was a faithful gym goer for years. Now, I still go, but I'm not faithful. Blake, I'm in that seldom category. This last week, I went two days. Two days I woke up and I thought, you know, I don't have to do this. I mean, it's, it's cold out there. There's frost on my windows. Why do I want to go to the gym? My leg's hurting. I mean, I came up with every excuse imaginable. That's what we do with church. And that's what COVID did to us. We got out of the habit. Here's the good news. 51% of the de-churched evangelicals, which is how we would be grouped, said they think they will one day return to church. 18% are very willing. 30% are somewhat willing. And he says, that's the best news we could get. And then look at the last line here. The question is, will we embrace it? In other words, will we step back and realize those that used to come to church, at least 50% are willing to think about coming back. In fact, 18% are very interested in coming back. And you know what we need to do? Simply ask. What about churches of Christ? Where are we? This latest stats from 21st Century Christian. This is about four years old. But notice 21st Century Christian in 1985, between 85 and 90, our membership in the United States was about 1.3 million. That's how many people was a part of Churches of Christ. From 1990 to 2020, that number dropped from 1. Point, almost 3 million to about 1.1 million. A loss over that time period of 160,000 members in Churches of Christ. Now, folks, I want y'all to think about this for a moment. Basically, what you have here is 160, 100-member churches gone. Gone. And if we're honest about it, all you have to do is look at the church you, grew, you were raised in. How's that church doing now? Can you just be honest about it? I came to Nashville in 1990. That's when June and I went over to Northside. And so we've been here 33 years. In that 33 years, I've watched this steep decline in membership in Churches of Christ. And it's a steep decline. I mean, there were churches when I moved here that no longer exist. I mean, I moved here and there was a church at Chapel Avenue, doesn't exist anymore. Trinity Lane, merged with Joywood, doesn't exist anymore. Buena Vista Church of Christ, not there anymore. I mean, Bordeaux Church of Christ, it's gone. White Creek's Church of Christ doesn't exist anymore. West End Church of Christ, shut the doors. Wingate Church of Christ, gone. Hermitage Church of Christ, gone. I mean, y'all, it doesn't take any time for us to go, something's wrong. 
can I ask you a question? What was the church attendance of the church you attended 30, 40, 50 years ago? My home church is nowhere near where it used to be. I mean, when I talked to my brother and I said, what's the attendance there at Ripley? He'll say, well, you know, when I was there, it was 300, 310. Now it's more like 220, 230. And it keeps dropping. And I suspect you're, you, you've experienced the exact same thing. Now, there are outliers. There are churches like Hendersonville that's been in an area that's growing so fast that, that people, you know. But, I mean, you just think about the churches you grew up in in East Nashville, in Madison, you know down in other parts of Nashville, and then maybe back home like June and I, and our church is back in Mississippi. All right. If you walk out depressed this morning, then I've done my job. I don't know that I want you depressed as much as I want you shocked. Shocked enough that you're willing to do what Jesus said in the book of Revelation, it's time to wake up. Because, brothers and sisters, if we don't wake up, this trend's going to continue. And one day we're going to wake up, and it's not going to be all these other churches I've named that's closed down. It's going to be churches that we love dearly that are closed down. So what do we do? Let me make just a handful of suggestions very quickly. Number one, we've got to create a church that's a loving, friendly, and welcoming family of believers. We, we, we've got to do it. Revelation 2, verse 4, going all the way back to the church at Ephesus, the problem you've got is you don't love one another like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. You don't love one another like you used to. And you go to the book, The Church. Many G-Church Americans might return to churches if they found a stable and healthy congregation. Notice what he says. Davis and Graham said, but those congregations aren't always easy to find given the level of polarization. Have y'all ever noticed, have y'all noticed that we're a little bit polarized now in America? I mean, if you're on the, you got to be either be on the far right or you got to be on the far left because if you're in the middle, you get run over. I mean, there's no middle ground anymore. And our churches have oftentimes followed suit with that. And basically what Graham and Davis found is that if you're not a church who loves people, who welcomes people, and more than anything, helps people to find it their home. Now, I know you're thinking, we're a friendly church. We've got greeters out in the foyers. We've got greeters in the back. We've got people who, you know, let me tell you something. We're not nearly as friendly as we think they are. we are. I mean, you know who you're usually friendly with? Your friends. In other words, you're glad to meet everybody else, but man, I mean... I want to give my sweet wife a shout-out this morning because the average Christian knows the people who sits around them in the church. You know, the people right in the pew in front of you, the people in the pew behind you. One thing my wife does, and I have to take my hat off to her, is she's constantly moving. Now, it might be she doesn't want to be noticed, but I think she likes to meet people. We've got to be far friendlier if we expect people to make this their church home, and we've got to get serious about it. Number two, we have to re-educate and retrain ourselves on how to reach those who are nuns. I was, tra- I, was, I was trained at Freed Hardman. I was trained in a debate mentality, and I was trained how to argue with people about doctrinal issues. Because last back then, the, you know, the challenge was since 90% of people went to church, you're most likely to make converts of people who are already going to church somewhere, so you've got to convince them why they're wrong and why you're right, and hopefully they'll come over. That was the mindset. 
And so I was trained on the questions of baptism and worship and the Lord's Supper and elder-led churches. All of those issues is what I was trained in. And yet when you sit down with a nun, one of the problems with a nun is they don't have any of that training. They're like Acts 17 when Paul went to Mars Hill. Do you know when Paul went to Mars Hill, he never quoted a single scripture? Why? Because the Athenians could care less about the Hebrew scriptures. They didn't know them. And so if you'll look at the little highlighted areas right there, Paul instead quotes from Greek philosophers and Greek poets. He even says, as some of your own poets have said, Paul knew he had to relate to them in a different way than he did in the synagogue. Quoting scripture won't work in the world. Not among nuns. They don't know the Bible. Very prominent politician recently was asked, why do you believe what you believe? And his response to the crowd was, read your Bible. Well, I would love to tell you that telling people to read their Bible is going to make them read their Bible. It doesn't. We've got to be smarter than that. We've got to meet them where they are, not where we are. And if we don't retrain ourselves, folks, we're stuck. It is that simple. Number three, we have to reach out to those who have quit church, the D-church, and try to bring them back. For some categories of the D-church, the best solution is simply to invite them back many are likely to accept the invitation even enthusiastically. There was a Lutheran church up in St. Louis that was a part of the study here before it came out this summer. They got the results about a year ago. And when they saw the results, and the results are, the easiest thing you can do is just simply call people that used to come to church and invite them back. And you know what? They started doing that, and their attendance shot up. Why? Because oftentimes the people who quit just wants to know, does anybody there even care? And when we do what Jesus says and we miss a sheep who's used to be here and is no longer there, are we willing to go out and do whatever it takes to bring them back? In the years I've been here at Hendersonville, one thing I've noticed is about everybody I meet out there in the community used to come to this church. I'm serious. I'm amazed. I mean, oh, yeah, we used to go to Hendersonville Church of Christ. Yeah, my, my mom and dad used to go to Hendersonville Church of Christ. I mean, the harvest is ripe if we'll just do something as simple as pick up a phone and call. And then number four, we must reclaim the Great Commission with intentionality. I grew up at a time when the Great Commission was for preachers, missionaries, maybe the occasional elder, not the average person in the pew. That's what's going to kill the church. Until we make the, the Great Commission the DNA of every Christian. Now, I'm not saying you get out on the street corner and, and you, start, you start preaching. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm simply saying that you take your faith seriously and you don't mind sharing it with people. And we're going to talk about next week, how do you do that in the simplest, easiest, and most natural way imaginable? How do we carry out the Great Commission. This has always been a haunting verse to me. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Do you know who Jesus is talking about? He's talking about his church. He's talking about the church at Laodicea. They've locked him out of his own church and he's standing at the door knocking this is not unbelievers this is believers 
And I just wonder if what America's done today is simply lock Jesus out of his church. And that's the t- case. It's time we let him back in. So this week, would you pray for the church? Pray for our church. Pray that we'll open our eyes, that we'll wake up, that we'll realize something's got to be done for the sake of the people of God in America. Make a commitment to make this church the best church it can be. Man, the best thing you can do is say to someone, hey, I don't know, I know you, you know. And if they say, well, I've been here 40 years, you can say, I've been here 40 years, you must sit on that side of the auditorium. Because that's the way it works. It really is. Make this church a church that's a loving church. And then number three, reach out to an old friend. Many of you could pick up a phone this afternoon and call someone you know is not going to church anywhere and simply say to them, hey, we miss you. Love to see you back in church and just see what God can do with that little bit of care. I think he can do some amazing things. Again, we're down front. If we can help you, our elders will be in the foyers. They'll be glad to assist you. Let us know how we can help together if we stay in sync.